Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee Olivest. In a 1963 interview, chess legend Bobby Fischer had this to say about women. Quote, they're terrible chess players. I guess they're just not so smart. I don't think they should mess into intellectual affairs. They should keep strictly to the home. End quote. If you view this interview on YouTube right now, which you can, you'll find that the comments section is flooded with praise for Fisher's misogyny. The men's comments call him the, quote, king of the game of kings. And they say that his ideology is an inspiration, saying, now I know why they call him a genius. Clearly, the world of competitive chess has a long history of prejudice against women. And sadly, these misogynistic tendencies continue to this day. But now for the good news. There are women, remarkably skilled, thoughtful, and resilient women, who are challenging those prejudices. And it's our privilege to have one such woman joining us today. I sat down with Anna Rudolph, who is a world-famous chess champion and streamer, to share her experiences in the patriarchal world of competitive chess, Our conversation includes a crash course on the history of female chess champions and an honest discussion about accusations of cheating, why young women walk away from the game, and how everyday people can show up and create change. Thank you so much for being here, Anna. Thanks for having me, Amy. It's a pleasure. So Anna Rudolph, for listeners who don't know who she is, is a Hungarian chess player, a chess commentator, a Twitch live streamer, and a YouTuber who holds the titles of International Master and Women Grandmaster. She's a three-time Hungarian women's national champion, and she has represented Hungary at the Chess Olympiad and the European Team Chess Championship. I also have a connection to Anna because, as listeners know, my, my husband Eric is into chess, and so Anna and Eric know each other through chess.com. And I've always had a particular interest in chess because Eric started playing chess like right around the time that we met when we were 18 years old in college. I don't know if you knew that, Anna. (laughs) I had no idea that that's when he started. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically part of your relationship, his relationship with chess. Yeah, yeah. No, it was. In fact, I kind of like got interested in chess for a minute just to hang out with him (laughs) and was like but it didn't take like I wish now that I'd like actually read some books and gotten good at chess but I never really did but we've had kind of philosophical conversations through the years once I kind of like was introduced to the world of chess and was like wait a second why are there not more women and so that's what we're going to talk about today but I'd love it if you could introduce yourself like from the personal side like where you grew up, and a little bit about yourself, you you know, in general, but especially in the chess world and how you felt as a girl and then as a woman in the chess world. So could you start us out at the beginning? Sure. Uh, I grew up in Hungary. I learned to play chess when I was about four years old together with my sister because um, we we always kind of had a chessboard around, but we didn't really know how to play on it. We would just use it as part of our Lego building, uh, you know, make towers out of the pieces. That's how we play chess, my sister and I. But my father was really into chess. He was a hobby player at the time, played at the local chess club. And he sometimes played on this computer game called Battle Chess. 
And in battle chess, which is a really ancient game in Amazdos mode, when the pieces move, they become like a living human creature walking to, from one square to the other. When there's a trade, they fight and one kills the other in a very weirdly animated old way because it's an ancient game. So basically like the Harry Potter chess, but in a very old computer game mode. And we really liked watching my dad play this and wanted to play it too. But in order to play the game, you have to learn how the pieces move because the computer doesn't let you build towers or make illegal moves. Mm -hmm. So the reason why we learned initially the rules of chess and how to play was to be able to play this computer game back in the day. I love that. That's amazing. Okay, so how did it turn from that into like, wait a second, I really love this or I'm taking it seriously? The next step was that my dad was giving uh, chess lessons at the local primary school. Uh, he was in charge of the, of the chess club at the school as well. And we would just go there after our lessons with my sister. And we were so shy that we would sometimes just hide under the tables or play together, but only her and me. We didn't want to play with other kids. So he realized that he needs to give some kind of an extra motivation or incentive for us to be more into playing against other kids too. And he started offering us kinder chocolate. So he <laughs> said, if you play against that girl, a game of chess, I'll give you a kinder chocolate. Or if you play against that boy, I'll give you another kinder chocolate. So we started collecting kinder chocolate by playing against some of the other school kids. And we realized that it's actually not terrifying to play with other kids and uh, we started liking more and more the game itself too, I guess, because it, it was a rule that originally started out for us as this animated computer game. Um, but when we played against each other and with other school kids, I think we realized that it's a magical world without the animation too. Mm, amazing. Okay. So how did your dad get into chess and then Kind of tell us about the chess scene in Hungary, because I know in the United States, chess is kind of having a moment right now because of the Queen's Gambit. And the United States had a moment too when Bobby Fischer was, you know, getting media attention. But the U.S. has been really behind other countries, especially in Europe and Eastern Europe, especially. So was chess really popular when you were a kid? And were there other girls playing? Wow, I just asked you like five questions. Sorry. Just answer whichever one of them that you want to. <laughs> sure, I will try it. I, I forgot half of them. But uh, I think the main thing, the first thing I should say for sure because of Hungary, mm -hmm. is that the best ever female chess player is from Hungary, mm -hmm. Judith Polgar. And the Polgar family, obviously, the Polgar sisters, I always looked up at at them and their achievements so for for me growing up in hungary meant that the biggest female chess role model was from the same country and was living at the time and is still living in hungary i saw her at some of the chess events she was giving chess simultaneous exhibitions i i had a chance to get a photograph with her when i was a kid i had her signature in one of my books and all those memories inspired me even more to to try my best and even if i don't think i i had i don't think i ever thought that i could get to her heights to her achievements but i wanted to try my best in my own way to to get better and stronger because i i met the biggest legend out there in the female chess scene mm -hmm. okay and was she like known by even hungarian people who didn't play chess was she like a national 
figure that was a household name. Everybody knew who Judith Polgar was. Yes, I would say okay. most Hungarian people know who she is. Uh, she has been on national television multiple times on talk shows, um, in magazines, newspapers. She she really has done an amazing job just showing up at mm -hmm. at the media occasions. We later became friends, so I know a lot about now about the behind the scenes too. That that she she was very uh, conscious about taking the time to to show up at interviews, to accept the uh, talk show invitations, because a lot of chess players don't do it. And she wanted mm -hmm. chess as a whole to be more popular too, not just she herself and her own brand and her fame, so to say. She also did it for, for growing chess as a whole. Okay. How do you think that impacted you to see a female chess superstar as opposed to if there had been only male chess superstars do you think that impacted you as a girl at all when you were little for sure yeah i think it's so important to have a female role model for a little girl because you can associate yourself more with her and in a way, the Queen's Gambit did something similar, even if it's a fictional character. Beth Harmon became a hero for a lot of people who didn't have interest in chess. And then they started signing up for chess.com accounts. They started buying chess boards. They wanted to play their first games of chess with friends. And that was all thanks to a Netflix series. So sometimes with real life characters and heroes like Judith Polgar, other times with fictional characters. But I think we do need female role models for girls because if, there's, if you can't associate with the person that has achieved so much in, in the field where you are trying your best, I think it it's just doesn't feel like it's something that you can do. That's something that's that's uh, a dream that suits you or fits mm. you that that's a path that's doable for a girl right right okay so did you did you see a lot of other girls playing chess as a little girl and then did that change at all as you got older yes uh, i would say that when i was a kid starting out in primary school first grade second grade there would be quite a lot of girls at the kids tournaments I played, it would almost be 50-50 or close to 50-50, I think. And as we got older, um, 14, 15 and up, it just every year felt like my age group is getting smaller and smaller in terms of the, the number of players. Um, the Hungarian Youth Championship, I played every year since I was 11. And I had some of my friends from different parts of the country i would meet at the tournament and that group too originally was like a big tournament and the next year a bit less next year a couple of more girls dropped out and and sometimes the under 18 category would be such a small group that they would need to play two games against the same player to make it the same length of event because they didn't uh -huh. have enough participants okay so that brings up an interesting question do did girls ever play against boys for the Hungarian championship, the youth ones, they, they divided it into boys and girls categories. Yeah. Um, other tournaments, the, the, the school tournaments or uh, county tournaments, a lot of children events, uh, I played mostly with boys, mixed okay. groups. Okay. So there's some of each. Yeah. 
But then, okay, so then as you got older and it started thinning out, there were fewer and fewer girls. I guess one of the questions is, and this you might say, I don't know, that's the big mystery, but maybe you have some insight. Why is that? And I know that occurs in other, I would consider chess maybe to be in the STEM fields. It's associated with math and science and, and those functions in the brain. Why? Why, Anna? Why do girls drop out of these fields as they get older? What do you think? It's a really difficult question to answer. I feel like from the friends that I had seen dropping out, many of them just started having different interests. I feel like a lot of the girls I knew back then started de developing other hobbies too, including my own sister, because we started together and uh, she dropped out when she was 12, I think at this mm -hmm. rate, like she still kept going to, to some of the chess tournaments, but she would rather skip the training and do instead something else that she preferred. It's, it is something that I don't personally understand because I myself never lost interest in chess, but it felt like others when they, when they had other hobbies or other commitments, they didn't always give chess the priority. I also used to have a lot of different uh, extrascolar lessons that I was attending. I was in a folklore dance group. I was in a music group. I was doing extra mets, extra drama lessons, aerobics. And all of those groups sometimes had shows to prepare for. Or at the weekend, there would be, even if it's a small stage show, but you would need to prepare for it and then perform in front of the parents. And it happened to me too, that at some point I had to pick, am I going to the chess tournament mm -hmm. or will I show up at the dance performance? And that's when you need to decide which one is your priority. And I'm guessing that for, for the rest of the girls, it wasn't that obvious that chess should be the priority because I gave up a lot of things for chess mm -hmm. and I like dancing and music just as much, but, but I started to be good enough at the start. I feel like the successes perhaps were, were making me more committed to chess because I felt like I'm getting somewhere. And yeah. maybe if you are not among the best in your group, it's less motivating, it's less encouraging because you like the game, but maybe you finish in the middle of the group or at the bottom of the standings. And then I understand that you probably don't want to miss out on the dance show or or the concert that your music group is giving mm -hmm. because um, I think for sure it helped that I I earned a few even if just local and youth category successes but I had some early successes that made me feel like I belong here and I can get somewhere yeah well I'm noticing I mean as you're talking about it I think everybody no matter the gender has that experience of like having to choose between the various things that you're interested in, right? Like sports and yeah. arts and music and stuff. But there is something particular about girls and women in some of these fields that on top of that, like it's a human experience to be like, oh, what do I like more? What am I good at more? What do I succeed at? But what, you know, what we were talking about earlier is like having having a role model and feeling like, oh, as a girl, 
have I had enough support? Have I had enough representation that I feel like, oh no, I can do this as a girl. And that's like kind of an added layer on top of, can I do this as a, as a person? Right. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you had a lot of support. You particularly did. Do you feel like in Hungary, girls in general and women in general do get that support? And then are you aware of perhaps because you had Polgar as the role model, maybe in other parts of the world where girls aren't as encouraged to play chess? Or what do you think about that? It's an interesting question. I, I certainly think I was lucky that both of my parents were extremely supportive. So it's my dad who taught me how to play chess, but my mom was just as supportive. They even organized family tournaments where my sister and me would be in the tournament. My parents, although my mom can barely play chess, and two of my grandmothers too would be included in the, the family chess tournament just so that we get some practice as kids. So uh, it's only my dad who was that much into chess. My grandma and my mom only know how the pieces move, but yeah. they play these local family tournaments because we liked it, mm -hmm. my sister and me. About the role model, of, I, I certainly think that for me it was huge that that Judith is such a great ambassador for, for chess and that she happens to be from the same country where I grew up. So for me, she was the utmost role model. Um, but I, I don't know if that's enough because for, from what you said too, I, it also made me think about how I do think that chess is not the easiest of fields to stick to as a girl because there are discouraging factors to and I certainly felt like when I was a teenager or 16, uh, 16 and above that there were already a lot fewer girls. And at my chess club too, I was among the very few who still play chess. So most of my teammates were boys or grown up men. And you need to, you need to be absolutely in love with the game and so committed that even though it's not your crowd, it's not the usual friends you would hang out with, like 40, 50 year old men, and you are just a teenage girl. Um, I still kept going to the trainings and I kept traveling with, with a really male dominated team to tournaments mm -hmm. because I, I wanted to continue. But if I wasn't this uh, decided that this was my path, I think it wasn't a very encouraging atmosphere, even though my parents were supporting me the whole time. And even though I had Judith as a role model, but it's not, it's not the most pleasant on a day-to-day -day basis that there's almost no girls I can hang out with. Sometimes when we went to team events and that would be like 20 and above when I was I was at high school or university even, and we would travel to these team championships at the league, the team championship of Hungary, every, every team had to have one female player, but that meant there were 11 men or boys and one girl or woman mm -hmm. as an obligatory board. So there were 12 players for each team um, and only one girl. I guess I'm lucky that there was an obligatory girl board. So there was at least one other person <laughs> that wow. I could see at the event. But because the percentage was so low of female participation, even though it was obligatory to have a, a woman on each team. Sometimes they wouldn't even have the women's toilet opened at the facilities or just like, you know, the bare minimum of uh, decoration. So the, the rooms would be just very plain and not welcoming because no one really cared about that side of the events. It was just to have enough chess boards and chess clubs. But wow. 
to have a, the women's toilet open is just, you know, on a side note, may not be that important because there are barely any girls. And mm-hmm. it, that doesn't make you feel very welcomed in general. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay, well, speaking of not being made to feel very welcome, I, I want to read a couple of quotes sure. <laughs> from, from men. I was reading, I just read the book a couple months ago called Inferior, How Science Got Women Wrong and the New Research That's Rewriting the Story. It's by a British science writer, Angela Siney. And she talks about this article that was written in 2015 by British grandmaster Nigel Short. And he wrote this, I'm going to quote it from the article, quote, men and women's brains are hardwired very differently. So why should they function in the same way? And then he goes on to explain that his wife has higher emotional intelligence than he does and that she's not very good at driving a car. So she needs help maneuvering their car out of the garage. And it's just very much an article that's like, well, men and women are different. And thus, like women are inferior in these ways and they cannot play chess. They are incapable of playing chess at the level that men can. And then he's like, but (laughs) she's good at emotions. So there was a, a sociologist, I believe, who, who responded to him. She said, he thinks that there aren't very many women chess players because they can't play chess. It's actually that they don't play chess. And she, said, she says, female chess players have said that the aggressive and macho and sometimes even sexist atmosphere of professional chess is what can drive women away. So not only not having female role models, and I had no idea about like just even those very practical things of there's no women's bathrooms open. There's no, like nobody's thinking about the women, but then you also have these, the men in chess who have a platform and who have a voice saying like really overtly sexist things I have you encountered that Anna like like how does that feel to hear men say things like that and to encounter that hostility Oh it's very hurtful it's extremely hurtful and they said those things also before Judith became to be a top 10 player in the world cuz mm. before she achieved that literally a lot of grandmasters including some of the former world champions had a very very sexist opinion on the chess scene and it it had to be it had to be Judith's arrival as a as a chess prodigy at, at the age of 12 and 13 she was already spotted and she she became the number one female chess player when she was 13 and then stopped competing among among women when she was 14 because she was already so much better and her overall goal was to become the world champion, not the women's world champion. She never competed for the women's world champion's title. She competed to become the overall world champion. And uh, I think that certainly changed the chess scene that we have this one outstanding performance and she got to be the number eight uh, player in the world. Not the world champion yet, but she Mm -hmm. proved that she belonged there. She played against the strongest. She beat every single one of them in one game or two. She has taken down all of the previous world champions too. She broke down Bobby Fischer's record, uh, becoming a grandmaster. So I think the fact that she managed to break those records and prove that a woman too is more than capable of being in the top of grandmasters at chess, I think helped with those statements 
So before Judith, it was it was even more brutal, the kind of statements people would say. But even after Judith, I feel like some would just say, yeah, but she's just an exception to the rule. It's just one player who made it. How come her sisters didn't become that strong? Because her sisters are extremely strong too, and they won the Olympic gold as a team of three sisters. Oh, wow. So that's a dream come true. A, a teenager a team, all of them were, Judith was 12, I think, Sophie was 14, and Susan 18, when the three of them and Ildiko Madov won the Olympic gold for Hungary, uh, among, among other teams like the Soviet Union, who kept, who kept winning gold one event after the other. So they were a really strong team um, as a family, the three sisters, but only one of the sisters became so strong that she almost could win the overall world chess championship so it it proved that it's possible but i think it still is something that people are like yeah but uh, she she is exceptionally intelligent she trained so hard she worked she was trained to be a chess professional since since she was born so People always try to to find a but right. <laughs> to the to her achievement instead of acknowledging that uh, yes, men and women are different, but it doesn't mean that men are more prone to chess or should be better chess players. It's just, in my opinion, a lot comes down to the sociocultural factors how how women used to be treated and unfortunately are still treated in some countries. Um, the inequality between the, the male and female roles also for the household that the woman should be prepared uh, to become a, a mother and then look after the family instead of seeking her own career, not just in chess, but in other fields too. And the participation gap, the fact that, that there are so few girls to so many boys at events at the scholastic level, I feel like it can be balanced depending on the country, but as soon as we reach teenage or older groups, it's just a lot less. Um, I read a research recently that was about the Indian chess scene and it compared adults. So it took out all, uh, all the youth groups. It compared adults uh, who have FIDA chess rating. So that would be that women and men who play chess in India and uh, it it uh, added up the average rating of the players, whether it's men or women, and the rating was very similar, actually a bit higher for women, the average rating. But the difference was that there was 94% men and 6% women in that whole scene of Indian chess players and chess is really popular in India mm -hmm. where it was only 6% women. I think in other countries it would be even lower in countries where chess is not as popular as in India. So if it's 6% women who are competing in the overall scene, how do you expect that 6% to achieve the same results as some of the 94% can? Mm -hmm. So then he went on to analyze that in the top 20, they have only one female chess player in India. Um, but if you compare the 6% to the 94%, actually, it's the predictable number that one will make it, but not many, because there are so many more right. <laughs> male players to one female player. Right. 
So how would you encourage young girls who like chess, but then they get to be, you know, age 11 or 12 and they notice like, oh, all my friends are dropping out, but I really love it. And maybe, you know, what I see modeled at home is, well, I'm just going to grow up and and be a mother anyway and be at home. So why should I work this hard? Or I like dance too. And all my girlfriends are in dance. What would you say to these young girls if they do find themselves loving chess, but wondering whether to stay? I wish I knew exactly how to convince them <laughs> because then I feel like, I feel like I could send out the right message and, and bring more girls or, or at least not bring more girls in, but make them stay because I love chess and I think it's worth staying um, for it, even though there are negative and machist and sexist comments that we receive even now as grown up women in the broadcasting or streaming scene. So it's not just about the, the competition, not just about how it is at tournaments, but on the internet in general, unfortunately, there is quite some uh, negative and not so welcoming atmosphere too. But overall, I do think that you should follow your heart. And if you truly like the game, if you truly like chess and and you enjoy studying, you enjoy learning, you enjoy growing and getting better bit by bit, then it is worth it. And don't listen to those who tell you that you are not good enough because everyone can and everyone should be given a chance to be good enough. All those statements from the ancient times and old grandmasters saying this or that, um, I think they should read more and they should certainly look up more researches and studies and educate themselves so that they don't discourage the next generation from doing what they want to do. Everyone, mm -hmm. whether it's a boy or a girl, should be given a chance to do what they love to do and only be motivated and inspired. And I'm hoping that nowadays that YouTube and Twitch has given, have given us more platforms to talk directly to the young boys and girls. I hope that means that we can, we can be in a way, not their Judith Polgar. I am so much worse than Judith when, <laughs> when it comes to my chess skills, but I do show up on Twitch almost every day. And I'm hoping that that is a small, small step I can do toward making sure, or at least helping that more girls will, will be into something that I truly like and I will stick to for the rest of my life. Mm. I love it. That's so powerful. Anna, that's awesome. As you were talking about, you know, these grandmasters making these terrible comments, because I didn't even read Bobby Fisher has, I looked up Bobby Fisher quotes, horrible. Oh my goodness. I didn't know, like so bad. Um, he said, they're weak, all women. They're stupid compared to men. They shouldn't play chess. Like, I mean, how much more? <laughs> it's like almost, I'm laughing. It's not funny at all. It's horrible and it's super hurtful, but it's like so blunt and not even a sophisticated argument or anything. It's just like the, the, the bluntest form of misogyny. One thing that I was a little bit encouraged about was reading Gary Kasparov, that he made a terribly sexist comment like a couple decades ago that like there is real chess and then there's women's chess. So insulting. But he's since come around a little bit and said that he regrets saying that about women and is more encouraging. Am I understanding that right, Anna? Is that what yes. you heard too? Yeah, I think so. And I so appreciate when, even though they said horrible things, 
they then apologize for it or say yeah. that they were wrong. And I feel like even though Bobby Fischer's statements were terrible, later on, he ended up playing training matches against Judith and oh. he invited the Polgar sisters over uh, to his so that they can train together. And I feel like even if he verbally didn't say that he was wrong, I feel like his actions are showing that he probably realized that he was in the wrong because yeah. he ended up appreciating Judith's chess knowledge and skills and they trained together for some time. Oh, that's fantastic. That's great to hear. I love an inspiring story of progress, even if we're not to where we'd like to be eventually, that story, the, the progress is really encouraging. Okay, another question that I wanted to ask you is about sexism that you have experienced in your career. Is there a certain story that stands out to you that kind of demonstrates this kind of culture? Um, yeah, I think the most famous one would be when I was accused of cheating with an engine in my lip balm that made it to New York Times, New York Post, Australia, New Zealand, Denmark, a caricature. It was literally everywhere in the world media, not chess media, world headline news type of media that a 20-year-old girl playing at an international chess tournament plays the best chess of her life and three titled players men say that she was most certainly using a chess engine hidden in her lip balm that was connected with the wireless internet in the in her backpack to a supercomputer every time she would open the lid of the lip balm she would see the right move inside the tin and that's how she almost won this chess tournament in france no way and people took that seriously Yes, because <laughs> I thought when I first heard it, I thought they must be joking, right? Yeah. But the sad part of it was, though, that this was a tournament between Christmas and New Year in France, the wonder of 2007. So James Bond technology, but we are in 2007. Yeah. Um, and one of these titled players, I think one was the grandmaster and two international masters or two grandmasters, one international master, but like pretty strong chess players. Uh -huh. And one of them was my last round opponent. So later I learned that they complained during the event too, but nothing was said to me because I didn't do anything. The arbiters checked my game as they requested, but there was nothing that would have been wrong. There was the moves of my chess games weren't matching the, the chess engine too often. For those who don't play chess as a context, nowadays the computer can play much better chess than any human being. So if you have assistance from a computer, you can beat anyone in the world. So obviously that is illegal, that is cheating, and you, you, you cannot have any device on you during the tournament. But they said that because I was winning game after game and I was beating players who are a lot stronger than me, it was not possible that I was playing by my own strength and my own skill. And uh, they asked the arbiter to check my games after the first four rounds because I was leading the tournament after the first four rounds. The arbiter said, no, there's no matching. She's just playing normal games, nothing suspicious. But then I was still leading with one round till the end and I was paired as an opponent against one of these people who thought that I was cheating. So then they went back to the arbiter 
and they demanded that they take action. And the arbiter came to me before this final round of the tournament and said, Anna, sorry, but there are a few people who complained and we know that you're not doing anything, but just to make sure, uh, we're going to need to take your backpack and uh, check your items. Um, and then he ceremonially opened the lip balm and looked what's inside. And oh my God, it was lip balm. I just couldn't believe it. And then my opponent arrived. I was playing on the first board on stage and he comes and I'm, I'm trying to shake his hand. I'm reaching out. He doesn't even look at me and he sits down. The arbiter says, please start the clocks. And every chess game starts with a handshake. So I'm trying to shake his hand again. And he just shakes his head mm. and I'm like, uh, what? And he says, you don't play fair. And I say, I don't play fair. And he's like, yes, you don't play fair. And he just completely refused to shake my hand. And that's when I realized that the person, one of the people who complained and who accused me of cheating, now I know, is the person sitting in front of me. And I need to play wow. this game calm and try to do my best when when this this gentleman has literally accused me of cheating. And that's why my, my backpack and items were taken away. They let me have my lip balm on the, on the desk and my tissue and pen because I was given permission to use them. But it just felt very humiliating that he actually thought that I was cheating and requested the arbiter to take those measures that no one does. And mm. every time I wanted to stand up because in classical chess, you have a couple of hours for each game. So you have time to go to the bathroom, get some fresh air if you want to, even maybe a snack if you're hungry. Every time I wanted to stand up from the board when it was not my turn to move, he quickly almost always tried to make a move so that I would have to sit back and not be able to leave the room. That's how paranoid he was about me getting some help. I was on my own at <laughs> this tournament in France. And, and uh, yeah, the lip balm that became famous thanks to these three men. Unbelievable. So did you, how did you respond when that was published internationally and all of these big publications? Did you like make a formal response or did you just ignore it? What did you do? The story was first written in uh, one of the the chess news, um, on one of the chess news sites by a journalist who was there in France at the tournament. And she she wrote about how outrageous is what happened because no one believed these three people. To add to what happened after, I lost the game. And when I lost, I, I, I just had to rush out of the playing hall and I started crying. But I didn't cry because of losing the game. I cried because of what they did yeah. and how unfair it felt that they even can think of me wanting to cheat just like the thought that they could imagine that I'm capable of cheating mm-hmm. and but at the closing ceremony of the tournament when when my name was called for the prize I didn't win the tournament in the end because I lost the last game but when they called me for for the top female prize I got a bigger applause than the winner of the tournament oh, and wow. it felt amazing that everyone stood by me the strongest opponent I beat at this event, uh, the number one player of the tournament defended me immediately. He also defended me in the article that was published after the tournament. So luckily for me, the big media 
picked up the story from when it was already clarified that I didn't do anything and how ridiculous it is that they thought that in 2007, there's this 20 year old girl with a James Bond technology in her (laughs) lip balm. The The sad part of the story is that there are still sometimes people who come to my live streams or my broadcast to call me a cheater in the chat because they heard a fragment of the story and they believe something that they haven't experienced, they haven't been there and they haven't even done the research to check that the International Chess Federation had had a case against these three people for what they did to me because Mm. they never apologized and they never had any consequences for what they did. But there are people who just read random comments on Reddit or or YouTube or wherever they are and they believe fragments of information and then come to me to call me a cheater. And Mm. that side of it, when it's already so many years passed and these people just wouldn't care to read the full story is a bit hurtful, even if it's already 10 years or so later. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's unbelievable. I had never heard that story. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, one more quick topic, and that is that you mentioned in streaming too. And I know I've talked to a couple of other women who have been you know, anytime you put yourself out there on the internet, you're going to be a target for all kinds of the worst of human behavior, but especially a woman and you happen to be a beautiful woman also. And so I, I'm wondering how you handle that. How do you handle sexist comments? Do you get it a lot? What do you do when you get it? I think I'm lucky that my own Twitch platform Um, I have great moderators, first of all. So if someone shows up with the very clear intention of trying to be sexist, racist, anything that is completely outrageous, um, they get banned immediately. So I don't even address, or sometimes I don't even have the time to read it because my moderators make it be gone. Where where I experience more of the... um, the sexist comments is actually during broadcasts because then I'm not on my own channel, but I would be, I would be hired for commentary. And sometimes, sometimes it's on Twitch, sometimes on YouTube or YouTube comments. If it's a video that I recorded like a chess tutorial. And, um, I feel like, of course, if it's something very outrageous, the moderators on other platforms too would do their best to, to act Mm -hmm. but there are other times when it's it's bad what they say but it's not that bad to get banned for it and those are the comments that get through when I'm doing commentary and I feel like nowadays I'm I focus more on full-time streaming and content creation but um, broadcasting used to be my job before the pandemic and I traveled from one event to the other. I got to cover some of the top chess events as a broadcaster. And uh, back then I was a freelancer. So it depended on the organizers who they invite as their commentator. Usually it's two people in the studio. So it's not like there are many opportunities, but I was, I was really lucky that I got to be at some of the top chess events, including the world chess championship in London. Uh, between Magnus Carlsen and Fabiano Caruana. And I feel like if so many different organizers 
invited me as their broadcaster. They chose me. I was a, a freelancer. They don't need to choose me. I don't belong to their event. I don't belong to any company. They just choose me. I feel like that, that to me should be like I earned it, that it's because they think that I have the right skill set to be their main host for the broadcast. And yet, even though from the inside, I feel like, yeah, I know I earned it, but there still would be quite a few people at every single event, not just one, but every event I broadcasted, there were always comments either on social media or on YouTube that were questioning why her? Hmm. Is it because she has a pretty face? Is that's the only reason why she was chosen for the role. And uh, I feel like in chess, we have a ranking system that is a title system. So that would be the grandmasters, the international masters, and the rest of the titles. I have the international master title that is above the woman grandmaster title. It's a bit confusing how the system is, but I have the second highest title in the world. And um, there are about 6,000 people with the international master and grandmaster title overall on the planet. And they say 600 million people play chess. So it's, it's a very small group um, of people who achieve the ranking I have. But because there's one title above my one, they always say, the people who, who pick on me and say that it's only because she has a pretty face, they say, but she's not a grandmaster. Why is she hosting the event? And I feel like it's so unfair when it comes to a job like a broadcaster, a show host, a reporter, as if chess was the only skill that's needed to have a camera presence, to be a good presenter, to be able to host a five-hour show with a smooth flow that no one actually realizes that time is passing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need to fill the gap for 20 minutes because nothing is happening on the board. But if you're a grandmaster, <laughs> it's just... It just feels like because grandmaster and ratings as a number is, is something that is very easy to compare. That's the only thing they compare. And it's true. There, there are 1,800 people who have a higher title than me, but they don't realize that that's not the only skill required for hosting an event. And it hurt me every time they said that I'm just there to be a pretty face when the the ratio between how many people play chess in the world and how few people have my title, mm -hmm. I feel like should have earned me some respect. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I can think of other chess commentators who are men in a similar position that, that maybe don't have like the highest title in their men. And I'm guessing that they don't get that said to them. And it, And it also the other thing is like, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this happens in every field that women, you could be criticized. It, it could be used against you. Oh, you're just, you just have a pretty face. If you didn't have a traditionally pretty face, that then you would get comments about your face that, oh, she's not beautiful enough to be on camera. And either way, it's a lose. And it seems to me that men, they just, they have definitely things that are hard for them in life for sure but they aren't constantly, constantly criticized for how they look either too handsome or not handsome enough. And, and 
you know, using all kinds of any excuse you can to tear them down by virtue of them being men, the way that women are constantly, you know, torn down. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, 100%. And I was just going to add to that, that when I started out recording a video series back in 2013, if anything, I had very low self-confidence for someone to be on camera. I didn't know how to behave on camera. I didn't know how to talk. I was, I thought I was hired because they, they saw me in me that I'm good at teaching chess, but just because you're good at giving a lesson at the local chess club, it doesn't mean that suddenly you're gonna, you're gonna be a great presenter for a video tutorial that teaches chess. So I had to learn everything from zero. And at the start, it was very difficult receiving constant comments also about my appearance because I wasn't even confident about my appearance and people would just constantly pick on anything they could. Oh, mm. her nose is so big. Oh, her, her voice is so annoying. That was one of the, the most common ones. So I guess I'm lucky in a way that one of the more common ones wasn't exactly about my looks, but it hurt me that they made every single thing I was insecure about even bigger. Mm. It just magnified everything about my looks everything about how I sound and I I had to train my train myself through TED talks and YouTube videos on how can I become more confident on camera and how can I use my voice in a more um, calmer and more presenter like way so to say because it's true that at the start I was I was so nervous I would talk faster. So I, I, I think some comments hurt when you you partially agree with them. And I knew that, yeah, I'm nervous. So I'm talking faster because I don't know how to record videos because this is my first time recording videos and this is terrifying. Mm-hmm. But a- any insecurity that one would have, whether it's physical or whether it's about your uh, personality, they would be like, why is she smiling all the time? Why is she so bubbly? Like, like just they question every single thing, other people on the internet, and it can be so hurtful and it makes you doubt whether whether you are actually as likable as you thought you were, because mm-hmm. people always find something to to pick it. And, and I think you're very right about what you said, that they would they would either think that you are there because of your looks or they would think you are not as attractive as you should be. On that topic, I would say I don't I don't think I'm I'm anything exceptionally this or that. I think the one thing I'm good at, what I learned to be good at is to be comfortable in my skin. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, whether it's a male or female presenter, streamer, public speaker, what, what gives us um, perhaps what they see in us is the charisma that when you're comfortable in your own skin and when you learn to, to, to like yourself the way you are and accept your flaws too, then, then it shows that the person on stage or the person on the other side of the camera is, is actually cool the way they are. And I think that's what makes a presenter or streamer or commentator uh, maybe attractive to others in a way, but it's only that we learn to be okay with who we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something everything can learn. Yes. That, that would be my takeaway. Yes, I agree. And as, as you're talking to, I thought, 
yeah, with looks. And I'm glad you mentioned voice too, because another book that I read for my season one of this podcast was Mary Beard. She's a professor in England and she wrote this book called Women in Power. And she talks about women's voices being higher and that women's voices, their natural voices are described as quote unquote annoying. And I'm always self-conscious of my voice too. And I used to on purpose lower it to be taken more seriously because a lower voice is a masculine voice and you have to sound like a man to be taken seriously. And so there's this like inner battle of like, do I lower my, do I lower my voice? So I'm like taken more seriously, right? (laughs) Or do I just speak in my natural voice and let the world get used to women's voices saying smart, important things and, and let people criticize it and just be like, yeah, you know what? You need to grow up. And, and recognize that this is what a lot of women's voices sound like. They're in a higher register. Get used to it. And so I love, I love hearing your natural voice and seeing you, like just seeing you, the way you present, you do just exude that self-confidence. And it's a really like joyful and grounded and loving self-confidence. And I think that is the most inspiring way to lead. And so I just, I think you are just an inspiration to so many people, men and women, boys and girls, but especially it makes me so happy for the next generation of girls who gets to look up to you, Anna. So thank you so much, Amy. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what to do with so, but so many compliments. And uh, <laughs> um, honestly, I can only say the same because uh, what you do with your podcast and how you educate the next generation to be where hopefully one day we will be that No longer we will need to discuss these topics because it will be understood that there is no such difference and everyone should be just as respected and should be given the same opportunities. Yes, agreed. Agreed. May I soon be out of a job. May I soon not be speaking about (laughs) this. Let's root for that, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fantastic. Thank you so much, Anna, for joining us today. I learned so much from you and just enjoyed every minute. Thank you so much. Likewise, Amy. Can't wait to see the next episode of the podcast. And hello, everybody. We're so grateful to Anna Rudolph for sharing her knowledge, her experiences, and her determination to build a better future for girls and women in the fields of chess and streaming. For listeners who would like to learn more about Anna, you can visit her website, which is AnnaRudolphChess.com, or tune in to one of her live streams at twitch.tv forward slash Anna underscore chess. And we'll have links to those in the show notes and on our website, BreakingDownPatriarchy.com. I'd also like to thank Sam Preminger for our production, Brianna Jovan for our editing, and Lindsay Olibest for our social media. Check us out at at BeDownPatriarchy for more material on each episode all week long on Instagram. And thank you, listeners, for sharing this space and for building this community with us. We're so grateful to have you here each week. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday when we'll be joined by acclaimed poet Robert Lashley for a heartening and heart-aching story about the books of Toni Morrison, performative masculinity, American literature, and a son's unyielding love for his mother. Join us for that episode next time on Breaking Down Patriarchy. Patriarchy.